the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp. We have a very special and fascinating guest with us today, Daniel Banora. Uh, he's a Christian Palestinian. He's currently a, a PhD candidate at the University of Notre, Notre Dame, and he's a former lecturer of comparative religion and Islamic studies at Bethlehem Bible College in the West Bank. Daniel was born in Jerusalem, and he's, ha- he's lived in Palestine most of his life and currently lives in the U.S. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, Michael. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so uh, excited that you could join us. I first heard you just a couple of weeks ago when you were on the New Evangelicals podcast with Tim Whitaker, and I was very impressed with your story, and frankly, it really did blow me away. Mm. Uh, so I really knew I, I, I just had to have you on my podcast. Our goal today is to get your perspective on four different areas. Number one, the Christian-Palestinian heritage that you have and the history of that community. Um, It's really fascinating. I've heard a little bit. I want to hear more. Um, Number two, some of the history of the Israel-Palestinian conflict. I know that's a big question, but we'll we'll cover some of that. Uh, Number three, your personal experience growing up in the West Bank and the occupied territories. And then finally, number four, addressing uh, the challenge that Christians have and followers of Jesus' love ethic or anyone who believes in the superiority of love, how we all have a challenge to love our enemies, and especially during this terrible uh, Israel-Hamas war. Um, So that's our goal. And before we jump in, I just want to preface it with... uh, saying that both of us are really on the side of all the victims in this war, uh, both Israeli and Palestinian, from the victims of the Hamas attack and the hostages to the Palestinian civilians that are getting bombed or are enduring other suffering. We denounce violence on both sides and really seeking uh, a non- nonviolent solutions as much as, as that is possible. And we'll get to some specifics on that later. But why don't we start with um, hearing from your your heritage? What we don't often hear from Palestinian Christians. So, what is your community's history? Yeah, thanks for asking, Michael. And I'm I'm always amazed when people respond that way. Like they're they're surprised to know that Palestinian Christians exist. And 
and it is um, it's confusing to me because like what like we we exist we're around like we've been around for a long time but it's also shows kind of betrays um a common phenomenon in in the west and in the us especially where there's a lot of apathy and perhaps ignorance and just misunderstanding and really harmful stereotypes and generalizations about the middle east of being muslims and arabs and violent and you know and all these kind of just very uh, harmful kind of attitudes towards the other the the people who are, look different and you know they're just strangers and they ride camels and they live in tents and very like harmful stereotypes and and this is very common in the media this is very common in like film and tv you have this very stereotypical kind of portrayals of you know the middle east and whether it's like you know disney's aladdin movie just you know just very like bad like portrayal of arabs or whether it's like right. co- like tv shows about you know american intelligence and and like fighting and wars and so on that just portrays the arab as just the violent the the very kind of plain simple character who has no story except being angry and violent um and this is something that the, the, hopefully the audience could also like realize like yeah i don't we don't really know much about the middle east and we need to maybe do our due diligence trying to understand what's happening there and the culture and the history uh, so that's something that i have to keep reminding my friends and especially being here in the us like hey guys you need to do the, do a better job how how you think about the middle east especially because the us plays an oversized role in in the for in in its foreign policy and its policy towards the middle east and palestine and israel so the american population especially christians hopefully like would would you know would have a more of a more educated and more nuanced understanding of what's happening over there absolutely so that's kind of the general kind of framework that we have to understand the american bias and ignorance right. and and how that also impacts the way we think about palestine and and hamas and and israel and so on so to answer that question directly so i'm yeah i'm palestinian i'm a christian i'm i'm an arab uh so palestinian i can just kind of unpack that I come from a people that uh, have lived for long, for generations in the land that has historically been called Palestine, and um, and if you look at the map of like if you type Palestine map, it's mostly we're talking about the whole land that is now considered mostly considered Israel. So we call it usually historic Palestine or so on. It's basically that region from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River. And we've been we've been around for mil- generations and millennia. I, I can trace my family back to thirteen generations uh, of the Banura family mm-hmm. that have been in, living in in, Beth- in the Bethlehem area for you know at least that long. And mm-hmm. the Middle East in general, and like Palestine within what is called the the Levant or the the Middle East, which is not a, a an accurate or helpful term. It's a very kind of Western term, right? Like there's the Far right, East right. and there's the Middle East yeah. and there's us, the center of civilization. So we are the West is the center and then this is the Middle East. <laughs> right, so it's right. a very kind of harmful, like Eurocentric yeah. and Western centric. So we don't really like that language, but we call our, you know, but we are from what is called the Levant or. What does know, the Levant mean? I think it's a French word. And I, I actually, I don't really know what the 
that's a good question. I don't know what that word means, but I think it's from the French, from the French. But it right. probably has also some kind of connotation of like imperialism and legacy mm -hmm. of colonialism there. Right. We call it we that the, the technical the most accurate term to use is Syria Palestine to distinguish the Syria Jordan. Lebanon, Palestine area, and then you have Mesopotamia or Iraq on the other side. Right. But Syria, Palestine have kind of been linked linguistically and culturally and historically okay. together. Um, anyway, but to stick with the common phrase, the Middle East, the Middle East is a very multi-ethnic, multi-religious, multilingual society. You have Muslims, but and these and Muslims are the majority, but then you have very sizable Christian minorities. I think the numbers of Christians have went down in the last hundred years, and we can kind of talk about the history of, of of wars and colonial colonialism and how that impacted the Christian presence in the region. And and then you also have other minorities. You have you know you have the Yazidis. You have Jewish Jews who have historically lived throughout the Middle East in Palestine in Egypt. Uh, before 48, when Israel was established, you had a very sizable Jewish mi minority in Iraq and in Syria. Um, we still have some Jews, I think, in Yemen and Morocco at, until today. Um, and then you have, in, if I zero in on, on Palestine, historic Palestine, the whole area we're talking about. You have the Baha'is in the north. You have the uh, you have the Samaritans who live in Samaria okay. or right. what is today Nablus in the West Bank. Mm -hmm. um, and you have different ethnic and religious minorities throughout the land. Um, so I'm from a Palestinian population of Palestine. Uh, in the 1917 British census over Palestine, uh, the British, the, so just the history background, we were controlled by the Ottoman. We had an Ottoman control right. or occupation. And then the Ottomans were defeated in World War One, And then the British and the French um, had this something called the Sykes-Picot Agreement, by which the colonial powers who won the war divided to spoil to divide the spoils of the war, and that included dividing up the Middle East or the Levant. Right. So it went from one colonial power to another. Exactly. So that's yeah. there's a legacy of colonialism that informs a lot of how we think about it, and I think that continues today. And we can I can explain that later. Um, but then the British and the French came and said, like, hey, we, let's take over Palestine and trans, what, what was called Transjordan, including Palestine and Jordan and Syria and Lebanon and Egypt and so on and so forth. And that was by the end of World War I up till the 40s and the 50s and the 60s with a lot of these kind of eventually areas became their independent states like Jordan and like Lebanon and Syria. Palestinians were under the British control until until 1948 when Israel was established. Now, so in 1917, during the British mandate, the, the early years of the British mandate, uh, Christian Palestinians were about 11% of the population. Uh, and they mostly lived in, in coastal areas and in, in city centers, like especially Christian, like Christian significant cities like Bethlehem, like Jerusalem, like Nazareth. Um, and some coastal cities, like I said, like in Haifa, uh, Haifa and Jaffa, and so on. So my family is from Bethlehem. Uh, not from Bethlehem, the city itself, but from a small town next to Bethlehem called Beit Sahur, which is the Arabic word um, that means the house of those who stay up at night, and it's oh, in reference. Really? Yes, the, <laughs> so those the Sahara, the ones that are um, the ones who stay up um, at night. 
and it's in reference to the shepherds. So okay. it's basically not, it's not partying. Okay. No, it's, it's not shepherd. partying. It's those farm <laughs> shepherds who tend their sheep at night. Gotcha. And they stay out, you know, stay out with their sheep. And um, Michael and the connection to the biblical story here is evident. So Beit Zahor is basically the shepherd's field. Yeah, shepherd's field. Right. So it is named after the shepherds who were tending the, the their flock when um, when Christ was born. So All I right. kind of come from that like history of a mm -hmm. Christian presence. Uh, we, you know, we we say that Palestinian Christians have been around for two thousand years. Uh, since Pentecost, since Pentecost, since uh, you know the first church of Jerusalem, and Christians continue to have a presence, a strong presence in the in the land. I can tell you more about like modern manifestations of Christianity and how we Palestinian Christians have been dealing and thinking, uh, dealing with and thinking about the reality on the ground and and Christian Zionism and how, how the Bible has been used um, to victimize the Palestinians. Uh, to in, justify what Israel is doing and kind of this unconditional, unwavering kind of Christian support for Israel using the text of the Bible, influenced by some kind of pen, uh, uh, dispensational theology or what we call right, Christian right. Zionism that says that we need to support Israel and so on and so forth. And we can talk about that and how we think about the land, who right. owns the land, what is the land, who are God's yeah, well, people. Yeah, we want to get into that, but um, yeah. you said 11% of the population are Christians. Is Used that still true today? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, that's how I should have continued with the conversation. So we used to be 11% of the population. And then in the early 20th century, you had kind of mass migration of Jews from Europe into Palestine, mm -hmm. um, driven by what is called Jewish Zionism or Jewish Zionism. We also have Christian Zionism. So Jewish Zionism is this kind of uh, ethno-nationalist movement that uh, wanted to establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine, uh, right. escaping persecution, influenced by other movements of nationalism, uh, like you have in the French nationalism or like American, you know, independence and so on. And like Jews were like, hey, we're some of them at least, and many Jews actually rejected that notion. Some Jewish Europeans were were content to stay in Europe as Europeans. They were fundamentally European, and being in the Middle East was not something that they wanted. And um, and and but then some of them uh, and also some of them who were religious refused the idea of establishing a homeland for Jews because in their understanding of Israel of the Bible and of history and of the Talmud and kind of Jewish commentary only it is the Messiah who establishes the kingdom of Israel right and Zionists the initial Zionists were not religious. They were very secular, liberal slash yeah, atheist. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I've read that about that. They weren't really weren't religious oriented. Right, yeah. They were just kind of motivated by kind of secular kind of nationalist movements. Yeah, but right. then they were like, well, hey, our people claim some kind of connection to the land in Palestine. So let's try to lobby and work hard to get that, like to get that land. Well, another interesting tidbit was I, I read that it, originally they weren't even thinking that they would make the home uh, homeland in in Palestine. They were thinking of places like Uganda, even. That's right. Yeah, Uganda and Argentina were on the table as well. Yeah. But um, looking into the you know what what they can do and how strategic it was, it seemed to them eventually they Palestine made more sense right. to them, but it, but especially it, because of the British. You that it wasn't a religious 
driven right. yeah, thing yeah, in the yeah. beginning. It's like, okay, where are we going to live? We'd like to live in Palestine, but we could live in Argentina or Uganda. Right. right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, they were kind of open to the, you know, they were having right. these conversations. Yeah. Um, but then there, so there was this Jewish increase and influx into Palestine. So that mm -hmm. limited the number of Christians and so on. But then the wars that happened since then in the 30s and then 40, 47 and 48 and 49, what Israel calls the War of Independence, what Palestinians call the Nakba, the catastrophe of 48 and 67 and so on. And there's been an exodus of many Palestinian Christians from the land, um, mostly because of the political situation, a lot of it also because of economic kind of opportunities outside. Uh, a brain drain, a very kind of unfortunate reality oh, really? where if you tend okay. to be educated, yeah. speak a different language, considering the reality you're in, it's like, well, I would rather get out of here. So there's a kind of brain drain of yes, educated Christians right. who just like opted out, especially because of connections they had in the West through churches and right. so on. So it's a long history of 100 years, but right now we're talking about about two to three percent of the population is okay. now wow. is now Christian. Only two to three percent. Okay. So in 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 what is called Israel proper, so outside of the Palestinian territories, we call them, and we can talk about that. You have like five percent of the population is is Christian, and they mostly live in Nazareth, and Haifa, and some of the coastal cities. Okay. And and some of the areas surrounding Nazareth, um, and then in the West Bank, it. You so you have them in East Jerusalem and in Bethlehem and some other kind of small towns, and so that's kind of we're talking about a very small population now, two percent total. But if you talk about the Palestinian territories, which is the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, it's really down to one percent of the population, um, and wow. that's just mostly affected by the harsh uh, political reality of wow. oppression of of the occupation and so on. Yeah. So it's a very alarming kind of trend. Um, and I'm also, I'm a part of that problem too. I, my family left, my, my parents are in Palestine, but my siblings, two of my siblings live in the, in the U.S. right now. My wife is American and I live in the U.S. right now. And there's a good right. chance we're going to stay here for long, for a while at least. Um, so there's an unfortunate reality that the land of Christ where Christianity began is now um, running short of, of followers of Christ in his land. Right. That is, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So you, you start talking a little bit about the history of the area. Um, maybe you can, we could dig in on that a little bit. Um, uh, I know it's a, it's a huge subject. There's all kinds of rabbit trails we could go on, but maybe just an overview of the, of the, uh, Israel Palestinian conflict starting in, you know, 1948 or that, that era. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm happy to give a summary of it. I encourage people to also do their, like I said, do your due diligence and pick up some books. I can reference some books as I speak now. And, but, and whatever books you reference, I'll put in the show notes. Right. And also, Michael, I provide you, I put together like a resource packet as well. That includes a good number of books, including history books that people can also go through. Okay. Um, so I'm happy also to provide that for the audience. So I mentioned the rise of Jewish Zionism in the late 19th century, the British Empire was expansive and in control of the Middle East and of Palestine especially. And Jewish Europeans, for example, the founder of, of Zionism, this nationalist movement, is Theodore Herzl. Right. And he was like an, a secular, you know, I think he was an Austrian journalist. And he, and he lobbied hard 
with a lot of the Zionists, those are the founding Zionists kind of fathers, lobbied hard with the British Empire to to facilitate the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. You have the, this is a famous Jewish family in Europe, uh, the Rothschild family, for example, has been also very influential and very resourceful also in lobbying, especially in Britain. And you had a many Christian Zionists as well who believed that it's actually a good idea, a good thing to... Um, to, to bring Jews to the land, influenced by a lot of kind of end times kind of thinking about the Jews having to be in the land for Christ to come back. And right. it is the Christian Zionists, including a guy called Belfour, I'll come to him now, who really pushed very hard for the Jewish presence uh, into, in, in Palestine, driven by theology, by the Bible, and that's important, but also driven by anti-Semitism, um, that you have so many Jews in Europe, so what do we do with all the Jews we have the most obvious solution is, well, let's get rid of them and might right. as well put them in Palestine since we control Palestine right now. I gotcha. um, so it's an unholy alliance between Christian Zionists, the colonial empire, the, um, the British empire, and, um, and Jewish Zionists. Now, this culminated... So this did not begin in 1948. This is a 106-year-old war against right. the Palestinian people that sure. began in basically officially in 1917 with the Balfour Declaration. So the Balfour was the prime minister of the UK at the time. And people can look this up and look up this le letter he wrote to um, Rothschild and basically making the statement that his majesty's government looks favorably up, uh, upon establishing a Jewish homeland in Palestine. And in other correspondence, he also makes the comment that we would not even consult the local, the the wishes of the local populations about this plan. Like we're gonna do it no matter what. And this is kind of just part of us. Like, yeah, we we control this land. There are some Palestinians and Arabs who live there, but uh, we'll bring the Jews there. So it began in really 1917 with uh with with after a lot of lobbying by the Zionists up till until then to start you know uh, paving the had the way for a Jewish homeland. Jews began, some Zionists who were convinced by this, uh, funded by the Rothschilds and other like wealthy, successful European Jews, began funding, um, especially a Jewish national fund, JNF, mm -hmm. um, moving moving Jews into Palestine and kind of settling in the land. So if you look up like maps of like early Jewish settlements in Palestine in the 20th century, you see they're kind of taken over buying some land, taking over some land in the coastal areas of Palestine and slowly kind of migrating into Palestine. Still not really significant. Most most Jews were kind of okay with being Jews and like European Jews. And, um, and also, like I said, Europe, religious Jews did not like the idea. Like we're gonna be in diaspora until the Messiah comes back. That's how. Oh, we, I see. Until that, until that Davidic figure who comes and or the Mosaic figure who comes and brings us into the Holy right. Land. Otherwise, this is not our job, and okay. our job is to be faithful, loyal citizens in wherever we are. Oh, now, okay. All of that now was challenged and appended by the World War II and rise of Nazism, which is the horrendous attacks on Jews in Europe and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that just made it clear to most Jews that we do not belong in Europe and we need to escape. Right. And after that, and kind of a bit of a sense of guilt by the British and others, uh, like we need to like help the Jews get out of here. And there was a mass exodus of Jews from Europe into Palestine. 
And that was a that this is the like I think this is the third wave of Jewish migration into Palestine that eventually brought in so many Jewish refugees from Europe into Palestine. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's kind of that's the the Jewish Zionist narrative. And eventually, by 1948, Jews declared the Jewish migrants. This is like the first generation, second generation of Jewish migrants, mostly first generation. They're saying, okay, well, we need we need to establish our independence, and in in May 14th, 1948, they established the Jewish, uh, the state, and then they waged a war against the Palestinians and the neighboring countries and won that war. And, and by 1949, they established control over uh, 78% of historic Palestine. So now historic Palestine, it was all Palestinian. Uh, 78% of it by four, 1948 became Jewish homeland called Israel. Seventy-eight percent, right? Seventy-eight percent. Wow. Okay. So that's the. I mean, but but what you're saying is the you know the um, colonial power kind of uh, took over and kind of greenlighted Jewish people to immigrate there, but what I mean, what what made it so that the Jewish people got the uh, you know the rights to have an independent country and not the Palestinians at that point. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack about the history there. That's kind of why I'm saying like people need to like study this stuff more. And it was right. more complicated for the British, and they were trying to find some kind of resolution. Well, you know, like we want the Jews to come. We said we would want them to come, and and so on. Especially after the 30s, after the Holocaust. But then, what to do with the Palestinians? Um, and there was there was a talk about having a two-state solution. What is called the Partition Plan. In right. 37, there was the, the Peel Commission that was um, issued by Britain to try to think of like well, how can we divide the land between the, both people. And in 1947, there was the UN partition plan as well that uh, basically divided the land between both peoples while, while giving the European Jews the majority of the land, about right. which uh, more than half, like 52% of the land. Okay. Now, so that was kind of the attempt to like try to trying to placate both people and you know have like two nation states in one in one land. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been the colonial kind of efforts. Like they could not really deal with it. it was also, Jewish militias at the time and really terrorist militias, and this is kind of established now, were like bombing, like attacking British soldiers. So you had the bombing of the King the King David uh, Hotel in I Jerusalem. I remember reading about that. Right. That killed a lot, some some of the British. Um, kind of uh, military and government officials and and just kind of skirmishes between the Jewish militias and the Palestinians and so far. And like Britain was just like losing its control over the land and like they just want to leave. They just want to get out of there. They couldn't control it. Um, in a way, it was like this kind of monstrosity they created, like putting two different peoples together in one land. And they's like, we don't have a dog in this fight anymore. We're just going to leave, which is a very colonial thing to do right like think of africa like how the land like the borders were set up and like yeah let's just do this like draw these line and lines and create these exactly, countries and like right. let them duke it out um right. and that's kind of what i mean this is not just even palestine think about how lebanon was created to create the, kind of this kind of christian country and and like you just put it and then you but then you included other uh ethnic um religious minorities that made like the Christians in in Lebanon also in a very precarious place and 
The same thing with Iraq, putting different minorities that would not live together in one state. So anyway, it was all like just messy and mm-hmm. very ignorant and very just crass and and like really just really bad policy. But if there's anything that if the proper understanding of all of this is that all of this is the outworking of colonialism, of Western imperialism yeah, and its yeah. involvement in, in Palestine and in the whole mm. region. So right. and and that that colonialist ideology continues to function. Um actually before I talk about that, let me just talk about the Palestinian story. So the the Jewish story, homeland escaping right. persecution establishing a jewish homeland the palestinians and the arabs are like well we didn't really know what was happening jewish migrants case started coming to palestine we didn't like palestinians did not really mind having some small minorities who settled they kind of bring brought some wealth with them and have their own kind of kibbutzes their own kind of socialist kind of communities and farming and they didn't really mind much eventually palestinians caught wind of what was happening and mostly through translating um zionist tracts and and writings and especially writings by people like herzl and jabotinsky and other kind of zionist leaders at the time and they discovered wait this actually this is a british is actually facilitating this and actually especially see this in the writings of jabotinsky they're actually planning to take planning to take over the whole land, and we need to like like we need to be aware of what's happening, and it's and um, but they had no control. The British had the complete control over the whole land, but then Palestinians eventually, especially by the twenties and the thirties, they realized we cannot stand idly for this. This is a colonial project. This is mm-hmm. this is an effort by the British to take over our land and bring some strangers. European refugees, European Jews, or Europeans for the Palestinians. Like, who are these people? They're coming from Europe here. Um, so the Palestinians eventually like resisted, and there have been like some kind of uprisings and so on. And the British were trying to like keep the peace, but they couldn't really do it. But the Palestinians were like, we, "This is not our problem. You're bringing European problems to us. We did not cause the Holocaust. We're not in charge. It's not our fault that Jews were." were attacked and and victimized in in Europe but now we have to pay for the sins of Europe now you're dumping your problems on us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and you know the whole idea of partitioning the land is like why would we give you our land especially the coastal areas um if you just kind of like watch documentaries or like footage from of Palestine in the 30s and the 20s and the 30s and the early 40s the coastal areas were like the cultural hubs of 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 Palestinians. Oh, like, is that right? Okay. So, like, um, you know, Palestinian history is mostly not in what is called today the West Bank. It's actually in cities like Nazareth, and um, Nazareth is inside, but like Haifa and Akko and Jaffa, and these were oh. kind of the centers of Palestinian culture, especially also in the north, in the Galilee area today. That's kind of where a lot of the Palestinian intellectuals were living. Um, and a lot of kind of the poetry movement and the literature and the like the political like elite and the intellectual elites were like living in the Galilee area. Now comes the British and they're saying, yeah, we're going to give the coastal areas and the north to Israel and Palestinians can have their state in in what is today the heartland, which is basically the what is today the West Bank, like in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And, and these were like underdeveloped areas. And like, that's not... That's not actually where our culture is like, you know, like the coast is where you have your commerce, like where you have your trade and like your 
yeah. your peers and your ports and like right. the main cities of our business and economy is is in the coast Jerusalem is the city center because it's Jerusalem and you have some holy sites in Bethlehem and Hebron and so on but that's not the center of our like history and culture on the flip side for the Jews if you want to think of like in religious terms the their legacy their history is in is in Hebron is in Jerusalem is in Samaria which are today in the West Bank in Ju what is what Jews call the Judea and Samaria so the whole division of like the land one the Palestinians why would the Palestinians give the land to anyone else like if you know like Michael if I if I come to you and I say hey Michael like I've been beaten up and I've been attacked and my I was kicked out of my house can I stay with you you're going to be kind and say yeah come I have an extra room you can stay with me and you can pay me rent or whatever you can buy this kind of like an acre of land I have here nearby but then like 20 years later I say hey Michael I'm not going to leave and I actually want to take the rest of your house or half <laughs> of your or give me like you right. know give me like five acres of your 10 right. 10 acre yeah. property right what are you going to do Michael right like yeah. you're not going to give it to me I but so, if I if if some foreign government comes to say Michael give that land to him I'm like no I'm not going to give him my land and that's the Palestinian story we're not going to give up our land to foreigners who are supported by the colonial British kind of imperial right. like uh, that know. makes perfect sense right uh, let me just interject one brief question here kind of begs the question back when Palestinian Christians were 11 percent of the population and I assume there were some Jewish people that were still living there, mm -hmm. and mostly Arab Palestinians. Though, were, was everyone getting along before, you know, during that time, in before the, before the uh, early 1900s, before before the, the Zionism before, and British Empire? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can we can generally speaking, we can say it's been like any normal society. Um, actually. I mean this I mean it's a it's a it's a long and rich history. We have some isolated instances of like violence or some kind of mm -hmm. you know attacks on each other and sectarianism, but it's mostly that's just more the exception to the rule. Okay. There's no ideal society, there's no like a peaceful society. No, no, I'm not saying that. I mean look at like look at like American society right now. Like look yeah. how like divided and like aggressive and mass shootings. <laughs> no, look at the legacy of no, also ethnic cleansing. We've and, had we've had yeah. plenty of conflict. I don't I <laughs> yeah, also like European medieval and like right. like early modern histories, like a the bloody right. bloody history. Right. I, yeah. I would say that the Middle East was actually more peaceful. And yeah. people actually were more speaking, right? Yeah, yeah more, more diverse and more yeah. tolerant, I think, than right. Western Europe was in the 19th century, like with right. the the transatlantic slave trade or with just you know fiefdoms and colonialism and like attacks and wars. Like European history is a very bloody history. Right. For the most part, the Middle East has been relatively calm. I think the Ottoman Empire just had control over the region and people just lived in peace. Um and like I, I was saying that Jews were living in, in the area like, you know, Egypt, Morocco, like Iraq, Yemen, throughout mm -hmm. the region. And they enjoyed relative peace with their Muslim and Christian neighbors. And I think and I and I'm trying to overemphasize how diverse and enrich the Palestinian, the, the Middle Eastern right. society or the whole right. region of West, 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 what we call West Asia. Mm -hmm. and north north africa or like or what is called the mina region the middle east mm -hmm. and north africa very rich and very beautiful society and it continues to be in many respects um so yeah for the most part it's been 
was a very good society and from what we can tell from records and so on that's actually much better than Jews were doing much better than they were doing in Europe and there was a lot of kind of vibrant ethnic and religious minorities throughout all right that's very interesting okay yeah um yeah, yeah, you, yeah were, I, you were talking about the analogy with the house and <laughs> right yeah so the yeah so fun though the discourse we use or the way we can understand the whole conflict is a discourse of of colonialism and how indigenous populations respond to that kind of the, that power, that imperial power. And in many respects, the, the story of the Palestinians is, as an indigenous population, is similar to the story of many indigenous populations um, throughout the world. Think of the Native Americans in North America, think of First Nations in Canada, the Aboriginals in Australia, New Zealand, indigenous populations living by themselves and some mostly European white, you know, or people peoples come and say well no this is actually ours there's a manifest destiny this right. is the promised land to us we're going to take it yeah. yeah and we're gonna you know lewis and clark let's go let's go west this is ours um but then you know who the natives would stand up to you and but then who are these natives these are the savages they don't have culture they don't have religion they're not christians they're not white let's fight them they are barbarians they're savages right right or maybe if they were using today's lingo they would say these are the terrorists you know these mm -hmm. are the native terrorists who have no they have no perspective and no point of view and no personality we need to kill yeah, them. it's the dehumanization of of people right. No. right yeah and yeah that's a good that's a good word yeah there's a dehumanization of the natives um and the West has done this well you know whether it's the black the African blacks the dehumanization of them into into chattel slavery or the native americans right so the palestinian stories uh, is similar to that just a long legacy of colonization of dehumanization now reaching 47 palestinians rejected the partition plan by the un and just like you colonial powers are not going to dictate what happens to our land we reject this and eventually, the Jewish, the Zionist militias, uh, the Argun and, and other militias that were at the time, basically coalesced together un under the leadership of Ben-Gurion, uh, who became the first prime minister of Israel, and, and issued this plan. It's called Plan Dalet, D-A-L-E-T, Plan Dalet. Mm -hmm. And like anyone, just please look that up, read the text, and see mm -hmm. what actually happened in 47 and 48. Mm -hmm. But basically, Plan Dalet... Uh, basically, they, they work towards like basically initiating the establishment of the Jewish homeland. Um, Zionists were aware that the British were getting ready to leave, and they're like, okay, well, we need to establish a Jewish homeland for us right now in Palestine. So let's launch this military militia campaign, really a terrorist campaign. I'll explain to you why, where we can basically force the Palestinians out of their villages. So as you can read this in Plan Dalit, and you can see what actually happened. Right. Um, they went throughout many Palestinian villages in what is today, today Israel, and they committed massacres. And we're talking about more than a dozen, more than two dozen massacres committed against the Palestinians, and just like massive, just very aggressive um, military kind of militia movement or campaign to drive all the Palestinians out and using the they're that's infant. what caused all the refugees that we hear about. Eventually, it led to the the refugee problem, right? And began in forty seven. And like, if people just look up, you know, 
massacres in against Palestinians um, in 47 and 48. You can see like lists of massacres committed. And then, you know, you go to a mass, you go to a village, like for example, you go to Deir Yassin. So you, you, people can look this up, Deir Yassin massacre, and then they go there and they kill like a hundred, more than a hundred Palestinians. And basically, and everyone just flees, like, you know, just like what these are militias are fighting and killing us. And these are like right. peasants, farmers, poor, they're not right. well organized. They don't no. really have many weapons. And basically that led to this exodus of Palestinians out of their homeland. Some right. of them were now, massacred. Let me, just, let me just interject one thing that the counter narrative to that, that what that I was taught in the evangelical church in America was that uh, the refugees um, left because their Arab leaders told them to leave. <laughs> and, right. Yeah, and sure. That's why they left. They didn't. They yeah. didn't leave because they were driven out by the the, the new Jewish uh, immigrants. Yeah. So this is like this is how do you how do you sugarcoat your history? Right? Yes. You know how do you make how do you make yourself a good person and then you justify the oppression and the you know the mm -hmm. suffering of the other people? You you come up with an excuse. The yeah I I don't yeah I don't know if, how we can like how we can quantify what happened. I'm telling you that massacres began to happen in 47, and mm -hmm. this was initiated by the Jewish Zionist militias. Uh, and, and it's easy for you to escape war. Like, look what happened in Ukraine, right? Like, mm -hmm. exodus of Ukrainians because of war. Look what happened in Iraq and Syria. You don't have anyone to convince you. Like, what's look what's happening right now in Gaza. Like, they're, they're leaving. They have to leave a war zone, right? Mm -hmm. Syrians did when ISIS was in power, just like mass exodus of Syrians out of Syria into Turkey and, and Europe right. and the West. Right. You don't have you. No one has to tell you anything. I'm gonna. I, I have kids. I wanna. I don't want to die. I need to. I need no, to. I, like, I understand. Yeah. That, I mean, but I, it's just I, like I, this is like propaganda. Like, oh, we didn't really want them. Like, are you saying you didn't want them to leave? But then you, if you read the documents, you read Plan Dalit, you read, you know. Herzl or Jabotinsky or like I said or Ben Gurion. No, the plan was to transfer the the Palestinians. I mean, this yeah. is in the writings of right. all of these people. Like, just look up the writings. Like, I I keep quoting Jabotinsky. So, like, read read the things called the Iron Wall by Jabotinsky. Like, a, an article he wrote. And he's just like, we are fully aware that Palestinians are not going to leave. We know that the Arabs of the land are committed to the land, and the only way for us to get them, we need to like get them out if we have to establish right. our Jewish right. homeland. Um, Plan Dalit was very clear. We have to attack um, border villages and towns, and and get the Palestinians out so that we can kind of carve out our own kind of. So one one other question: um, Was there ever like a more of a uh, <laughs> uh, egalitarian type of idea of like why don't we form a country called I don't know Israel Palestine or Palestine Israel <laughs> and have both everyone live together? And and get both of us get you know we have our own country outside the colonial uh, paradigm. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't the discourse uh, for either people. Like the Palestinians were like, no, we're like this yeah. is our land. We're gonna fight for right. it. Right. Okay. Just like the natives did. Just like anyone else. Right. Just like just like the Ukrainians. We're not gonna like we're not gonna let you have Crimea or take over Eastern Ukraine. We're gonna yeah. fight for it. Right. And Palestinian had a very Palestinians had and all Arabs like had a very strong national identity. Like this is our land. These are our trees. These mm -hmm. are our crops. Right. And we are Arabs, and we speak Arabic, and our our folklore, our language, our songs. Like this is our national identity that we're not going to sacrifice on the 
also because I kind of mentioned this is like a European Western colonial project. Like, how can we share this with, with these people, right? And for the Jews also, and this continues to be today, or at least like, like you have to be careful, not every Jew will believe this, not even today, but the Zionists, the whole idea was to establish a Jewish homeland. And and especially after the Holocaust, like we cannot live, and this is still a fact for many people, and we can talk about the legacy of anti-Semitism and, and the Holocaust, but Jews, for the most part, especially at that time, just developed a, a very bitter distrust and like uh, of people, especially Christians. Like we cannot survive, like we cannot depend on anyone to save yeah. us. We have to save ourselves. Right. And, and this is kind of, in, in theology, we talk about this kind of post-Holocaust theology. How do you deal with this? And and Jews and, Jew, Jews and Israelis have written on this a lot. Like never again, we have to do this our own. Yeah. We're not gonna let anyone else like control our lives. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, from the beginning, there was no like there was no kind of synthesis of like this kind of multinational by 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 national state or a federation. The idea is like we need to be a strong nation. Never again this would happen to us. Um, the tragedy of all of this all is that those who victimized who were victimized in Europe, those who survived the Holocaust eventually became the victimizers um, yes that's very and, that's sad part that that's that actually happens a lot <laughs> right <laughs> yeah 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 hurt, the hurt people become hurt, the oppressors yeah right hurt people hurt people right like yeah if, yeah and you know and the zionist militias the zionist like like religious and political leaders were like why would they consider the palestinians why would they try to work out a peace agreement they're just motivated by this kind of i don't know if it's revenge but this kind of sense of we need to we need to control. We need to have security. Right. We need to create this fortress. Yeah, uh, that is called Israel, and we have to, no matter what, we have to protect ourselves, and we have to be strong, and we have to be right. Jewish, and so on. So that was never a part of the conversation. And like from the twenties and the thirties, that was out of the question anyway. Like there was no efforts for peace. All the conversation was about the partition, the two-state solution at the time. Now this this conversation continues today, and I think you see how this works out in Gaza right now, and we can kind of pivot to that. Um, yeah, I wanted to, anyway, to pivot a little bit here. Um, just if you want to, if you have any closing thoughts on that. Well, on there's the a lot to say since I know. 40, we, from 48 till we 2067. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, but there is, I think that I can just make the jump from here to, to Gaza when I talk about the refugees. So 700,000 refugees were made. They were pushed out by the militias. They were bombed. I, uh, if you can, people can look this up. Like there's a, a, a Palestinian village in the north, north of Nazareth called Kufur Birim. Um, it was a Palestinian Christian village. They didn't really kill people, but the militias came to them and says, Hey, we're going to bomb this, this, your village in like five days. You need to get out of here. So they didn't have to like scare them, but they, they told them, Hey, we're going to bomb you. We're going to bring our planes and bomb your village. And and most people left. Uh, they went to Lebanon. They were like very far north of the land, and they went to Lebanon. And some of them went to like Tiberias and Nazareth. And then mm -hmm. the Jewish, the Zionist militias eventually bombed Kufr Biram. This was like an exclusively like Christian village. If oh. you go to Kufr Biram today, uh, you see all the ruins there. They're still there. Like we have these living witness or like stone witnesses, these witnesses of what happened. Mm -hmm. And there's a church. There's like a standing church right now in Kufr Biram. What what year was that? This is in forty eight. 
and 47 so 48 okay, yeah okay. i'd like that the whole the, the yeah. thing just counting right. this kind of just nonsense propaganda that arabs le right. arab leaders trick them to leave um Ilabun as well in the north uh more the coastal area a very christian village was also ethnically cleansed we had we're talking about 200 to 300 Palestinian towns and villages were ethnically cleansed. Wow. And speaking of references, Ilan Pape, I-L-A-N-P-A-P-P-E. Yes, familiar with him, right. Uh, the Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. That's the name of his book, The Ethnic right. Cleansing we'll of Palestine. put that in the show notes, yeah. Sure. And he documents this, de uh, declassified documents that were kind of unearthed in the 90s. And he shows just this brutal campaign of ethnically cleansing Palestine. Um, and just also like that, you, you need to have the stomach for it because the 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 records are very like like gruesome, like what oh, actually really? they did to the okay. Palestinians. And we actually had like soldiers recently, and you can like have to search for this, but uh, pre like soldiers in '48 and so on. Later on in the '90s and the 2000s, actually spoke up about what they did, and they were like telling, "Yeah, we're just gonna going and shooting shooting people around like." They had zero regard for the for the Palestinians, mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot like there's there's a lot of stuff out there for you to for people to read. Um, so uh, yeah, there's so it continues there. Palestine from there, Palestinian resistance continued, but the majority of the pop Palestinian population became refugee populations. Like I told you, the majority right. of the population was a coast in the coast right. and in the Galilee area. Eventually, Israel took over that, and those who remained became under the military occupation. For example, in the Galilee, like in Nazareth, uh, and then some of the Palestinian refugees ended up in the West Bank and in Gaza Strip. So, in, for example, Bethlehem has three refugee camps, Aida, Dehesha, oh, okay. um, and uh, I forgot the third one right now. But mm -hmm. refugee camps throughout the West Bank and throughout the Gaza Strip. Palestinian resistance continues. Eventually, in 67, Israel, I'm telling you, this is like, and we can you can read about this. Israel is fundamentally interested in taking over the whole land and not about sharing the land. 67 preemptive supposedly a preemptive war was waged by israel to take over the rest of the land so they took over the west bank and the gaza strip and kind of enforced uh, military occupation and started moving their populations into these areas so you have the uh settlements in the west bank and also right. the gaza strip a lot of stuff happened since then so up until jump... 67 that were the palestinians did they have autonomy over those lands we never had palestinians never had any autonomy at that time um after th in 49 when the war was over over basically there was like a ceasefire announced and and by that and in the ceasefire the agreement that was done through the un and so on is to basically the palestinians who stayed in what was eventually called the west bank the west bank of the jordan river right. to come under jordanian control and then the palestinians who were pushed into the gaza strip came under egyptian control and and that was kind of basically a temporary solution until we can figure out what like the the final right. status so they, solution would, would look they never like. had autonomy but it got worse after 67 that's what you're saying because so were... yeah so that was temporary and then israel was like no we're gonna take over the whole land and then israel yeah. came and then quickly in five days defeated 
the 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 Jordanians and the Egyptians and both mm-hmm. both both peoples were not really interested in all of this anyway so they basically gave very quickly Israel took over and Israel was very weaponized and very militarily superior to these countries and eventually right. took over right. and then Palestinians have been living under occupation since then and yeah. that includes right. Gaza includes uh, and the west bank and especially in the west bank east jerusalem including like my family bethlehem where we live right we live under a very brutal military oppression and occupation where checkpoints and walls and control of the infrastructure access limited you were, you were born in jerusalem right you mm-hmm. and you grew up in bethlehem i mean what was that yeah. like personally your personal experience what was that like yeah i guess kind of that's the, the next section you want to talk about so yeah i grew up under a military occupation soldiers um around controlling my everything every city at, at the exit of every city there's a checkpoint manned by soldiers people who can just look this up israeli checkpoints in the west bank and they see what they look like um, every city in Palestine, in the West Bank, uh, they're like a checkpoint at the entrance and the exit. I think we were talking about like, I think like 300 checkpoints in the West Bank. Wow. Um, and basically controlling the movement of, of all Palestinians. So if you want to, you want to lock Palestinians in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, you just close the checkpoint and all the roads are closed and then people cannot leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you have the wall, the what we call the upper tide wall or the separation wall, and you you can see pictures of it or the map. You can see kind of goes through the West Bank, annexing Palestinian land into Israel. Uh, Bethlehem is, for example, surrounded by two sides by this wall, and and there's like a you basically trap the people within the, the, those areas. You take over a lot of their farmland, so. A lot of Palestinian lands are, are in Bethlehem are, are taken from them, especially like olive groves, and they don't have access to it, and it's now under Israeli control. The mm. aquifers, the western part of the West Bank is a very like fertile land, and there's a lot of kind of water, uh, underground water and aquifers. All of that is controlled by Israel. Palestinians do not have a right to like dig up the water from their aquifers. All of the money is taken, all the water is taken from the aquifers and to the Jewish settlements that are in the West Bank. My family from Bethlehem, we lost 11 acres of land for a Jewish settlements, wow. for a Jewish settlement next to Bethlehem. It's called, Israel call it the, calls it the Har Huma settlement. We call it the Mount of Abu Ghnim. But uh, all of the, the whole, it's basically like a hill that was all taken by the Israeli military. And now you mm. have Jews from like Brooklyn or Poland or Russia or whatever live there uh and even though this was a land that belonged to my family no compensation no compensation no no no. this is this is a military like they control every aspect there's no i think they some some settlements they tried to sell land to palestinians but palestinians refused but and for the most part we had no power no effective power even if you try to complain to larger complaint in the like in the in the Israeli military uh, court, all of these complaints would just be rejected. And yeah, and that's why you have the Israeli settlements in the West Bank. In the Gaza Strip, eventually Israel in 2005 disengaged from the West Bank. They moved the settlements out or they moved the, they this, uh, this, uh, just, you know, remove the settlements from the Gaza Strip, uh, Gaza, yeah. from, from the Gaza Strip. The settlers <clears throat> moved from the Gaza Strip into the West Bank. It's not like uh-huh. they went back to yeah. Israel. They just... <clears throat> They moved, mm-hmm. um, and the Israeli military 
could not really handle the Gaza Strip, so they moved from within the Gaza Strip into the outside. And in 2007, they enforced a blockade over the Gaza Strip. It's been going on for 16 years now. A very inhumane, brutal uh, blockade of the Gaza has been described as the world's largest open-air prison, which is not even accurate language. Um, I mentioned this with to, to Tim. This is actually more of a concentration camp. Right. Because if you're in prison, it basically implies that you're guilty. That's why you're in jail. But it's actually a concentration camp where the the guards control the outside and the Palestinians are stuck there. A humanitarian disaster, their unemployment is skyrocketed. Palestinians in Gaza cannot leave at all. Some of them get to leave, like a few hundred of them get to, get to work in Israel. Um, yeah, so but- that was a question that came up because a lot of people, when you talk about this, they go, oh, it's not that bad. They can go to work in Israel and they can yeah, come absolutely. back. And there's all this aid that absolutely. comes in or trade that yeah. comes in over the borders what what do you how do you yeah understand? that's yeah that's nonsense yeah I, uh, aid i mean like in the gaza strip aid no like or trade, was, or like you know having trade with israel or something or whatever yeah israel would would israel wouldn't mind having trade with like israel doesn't mind if the palestinians just sub submit like yeah of course why why wouldn't they you know sell their products to palestinians you know like it's it's good for their economy the occupation pays. It pays Israel to have to have the occupation. One, it it has a compliant, controlled, occupied population that relies on Israel for its livelihood, and it pays taxes and buys products. It pays from the U.S. There's military support from the U.S. You have we're talking about like four billion dollars a year that is given to Israel in the form of military aid. It pays Israel to be, have the occupation. And if, as long as the Palestinians do not resist and they remain to be a tolerable minority, they remain to be a minority and they tolerate it and they're not making any trouble, Israel doesn't mind us there. Like, we actually, it's a good, it's good business for Israel. So you, um, you had said only a few hundred people were giving work permits. I think, to so Gaza, so going back to Gaza, I think there are like 2.3 million Gazans living in the mm-hmm. Gaza Strip. And the Gaza Strip is super small. It's yes. like 360 squared kilometers. I think it's like yeah. 180 squared miles. 25 miles by 5 miles, yeah. There you go. Very tiny area. And 2.2 or 2.3 million Gazans, and I think a few thousand of them get get permits to work in. A few thousand, in okay. Like a few thousand. Like this is not significant. They're they're mostly traps, and and Israel uses like Palestinians as cheap labor. Like they pay them way less. I mean, yes. it's it's also this is common in the U.S. Right? Like you have the cheap right. labor market yeah. in the U.S. as right. well. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you sub, you know, you can work for cheap, and we'll pay you. As long as you but remain occupied and right. submit to what we're doing. The point is that they're not free to go and leave and, and do what they want. No, no. Every every aspect of Palestinian life mm. throughout the whole land, every non-Jew lives under, is controlled by, by, by the Jewish state, by Israel. Mm. This right. includes the Palestinians in Gaza who live under a blockade with with this policy of an eyedropper that you know gives them some water here, gives them like electricity, eleven hours a day, um, calculates how many calories each Palestinian like needs, and allow this much food based on the calorie intake they they deem that is enough for the Palestinians. No, they're they're trapped in this prison and they cannot like re- leave or travel or anything. Like it's a very 
and uh, the UN came out in 2020 saying or in 2015 saying that by 2020 the west the Gaza strip is going to be uninhabitable it's a very densely populated mm-hmm. destroyed infrastructure no 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 sustainable economy um 50 and the, or and the, the the point about the economy is that you can't build an economy if someone is uh controlling everything that comes in and you're not you don't have a free market to develop yeah, you you have no control you have no you right. cannot sell your products everywhere like and this right. is an issue like they like gaza is very fertile and they have good farmland very limited and small but they 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 have like they for example they're known for their strawberries but they produce strawberries and and they basically go to waste because they can't sell them outside. They can't sell them outside. They, yeah. yeah. So that very destroy, very destroyed economy. There's no like, there's no. It's not a very unsustainable reality. Fifty or sixty percent unemployment, sixty or so seventy under. Excuse me, seventy percent under the poverty line. Just a very decimated kind of reality. Very like harsh. Ninety-eight percent of the water is undrinkable. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no, there's no viable economy. Seventy um, percent of Gazans are refugees. So these are the people, and this is maybe kind of talking about like how, about what last what happened recently. Seventy um, percent of the population of Gaza are refugees, are mm-hmm. second and third generation refugees. They they are not from Gaza. They are from right. what is today called Israel. Right. Um, and they don't want to be in Gaza. They 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 have and if you like look up the, like search for the picture of like refugee camps, like Palestinian refugee camps on Google, you would see mm-hmm. pictures of the key of a key becomes a symbol for the refugee, and it's basically the Palestinians who fled in forty in forty seven and forty eight. They lock their they you know they lock their doors, put everything on their back, whatever they can take with them. They lock the door and they left, thinking that you know we'll be gone for a few weeks and then come back. 75 years later in Gaza or the West Bank, there's still refugees, still refugees. Wow. And not just within, most of the refugees actually live outside the land. So you have the biggest refugee population is in Jordan. You have oh, a sizable right. a minority. in Jordan, right. Yeah. A lot of them in Syria and Lebanon as well. Okay. And also in diaspora, people who just kind of right. basically got some kind of asylum and then they moved to different countries. Right. But most of them, the, the majority of the Palestinian population, and hopefully this kind of, just would shock people um the majority of the population of palestine are refugees the the majority of palestinians are refugees mm-hmm. and that majority is not even allowed to come back to palestine or the, right. the, the whole land right right and and those who are refugees within the land in the west bank and gaza strip cannot even leave the west bank and the gaza strip right so um no. before we talk about hamas but for for a lot of these people are saying like um we need to get out of here. We need to. We want to go back. We have a right. This is what Palestinians call the right of return. We have a right to mm-hmm. the land that we lost in '48. This is our land. This is where we grew up, and we need to. We need to go back there. But that's the reality. Before I, before let me just finish with the last point. The whole reality in the whole land, in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, in the Gaza Strip, and also within Israel proper, the rest of it, the majority, the 78 percent of the land. Mm-hmm. Where you have also Palestinian citizens of Israel, or what Israel calls Arab Arab Israelis, the language is important. You're saying they're not Palestinians; they become Arabs, yeah. Um, and that 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 language is important and very problematic. They're not Arabs; 
just like you're not English, Michael, because you speak yeah. English, right? Right. They're Palestinians. Their 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 culture is Palestinians, but they are citizens of the state of Israel. Um, the whole land, the whole system, has been described aptly, I think, insufficiently even, I think, by Palestinian human rights organizations, by Israeli human rights organizations like Bit Salem, by Human Rights Watch, by uh, by Amnesty International, and by the UN. The system right. that exists between the Jordan River to the Mediterranean is a system of apartheid, right? Uh, or, or Jewish supremacy above the Palestinian population. If people can see me, or in the podcast, is basically people here, and then you have a people on top of them, or mm-hmm. one one Jewish supremacist population that controls the indigenous populations. Mm-hmm. Or the description has been given uh, to us by also like South Africans and, and Blacks in the US, is that it's a re- relationship between the neck and the boot. You have a boot on the neck of the Palestinians. Right. Well, this is an, so it's an apartheid system that was it is very similar, not identical. We're not saying it's identical. It is very similar Africa, yeah. to to apartheid South Africa, and that mm-hmm. is the context. And I grew up in that system. Gazans grew up in that system, and all Palestinians are part of that system. Right. No, that's 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 a whole. No, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff there that, but people have <clears throat> gone in there. I I've read that South Africans have gone in and observed what's going on. They go. Oh uh, yeah, this is definitely apartheid. It's actually worse than we had right. it. <laughs> yeah, you had people like Mandela. You had Desmond Tutu. Right. Yeah. Frank Chicani. Frank Chicani was in in Bethlehem. He's a, he was an active. He's a an Anglican priest. He yeah. was active in the anti-apartheid movement. Right. He came to Bethlehem, I think, in 2020, and he was like, uh, to call it apartheid is actually an understatement. Like this is actually much worse, more right. so than apartheid. And I don't think the language is. I mean, the language is helpful, but it's not. It's limited because. There's an issue of the the legal system is apartheid, but it's also a system of settler colonialism that mm-hmm. you move your populations and then you settle in, you use colonial methods to settle in the land and to push the people out. So right. apartheid is only one way to describe the reality. It's actually much worse, much worse than that. Right. So I want to pivot at the end here and talk about your faith. And in particular, um, you know, there's a huge challenge here. Here you are, a Palestinian Christian follower of Jesus, and and you know, following the love ethic that Jesus taught, which includes love your enemies, and and we've got this you know system that you're under. What what is that? What are those challenges like for you as a Palestinian Christian to love your enemies? And how is how is just this? How could this? possibly be a solution if people could get a vision for actually both on both sides to actually stop dehumanizing each other and start uh, loving each other? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Michael. And that takes a long, a long time, I think, to unpack. But just kind of, I'll, I'll put this within the context of what just happened in the last three weeks. Um, I think because that's what people are thinking about. Right. So Hamas we, um, broke out of jail, out of prison, out of the concentration camp. And uh, and like I said, these are refugees. Uh, we're not surprised that three generations later, the repressed would revolt and would go out, would break out of jail. Um, there's no justification to like the killing of civilians and the killing of anyone. I think, and I, I can talk about, I'll talk about my faith and how I think about violence and so on. 
but they went on this kind of rampage, um, right. targeting Israeli civilians and soldiers, and and killed you know I think thirteen hundred of them. Mm-hmm. Um, soldiers I, and civilians, yeah. Soldiers and civilians, yeah. There's there's mm-hmm. a conversation there for for some for people like Hamas and and some Palestinians are saying, well, every Israeli is actually a soldier because there's every Israeli serves in the military. There's like mandatory um, military service for Israelis. Right. So for the for some Palestinians, including Hamas, are saying, well, each each person, each Israeli is actually a soldier. Each person actually oppressed us, are part of the problem. I see. That's how they look at it. Okay. That's how like Hamas would. Yeah. So I mean, Hamas it's interesting. At, at least at least Hamas would say. I mean, also like, there's a lot of nuance to add. Some of the footage that came came out, like like from Hamas. I mean, this is Hamas propaganda, but they're showing it's like, yeah, we're treating women well. Uh, and they basically just t- kind of target men or those who are fighting them. Uh, and you saw some footage, like from like cameras and so on, where they event like they basically tell the women to leave. And they, um, and then you also saw some like terrible, like you hear some terrible stuff from uh, Jewish survivors of the Hamas attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is actually kind of very kind of sweet story. She, this woman, told, told me this kind of this person came into my house and he was like, I'm a Muslim. God tells me not to attack women or children. I'm not going to attack you. And he's like, I just want to hide in your house. Um, this is like, actually, like, there's a report of this, like, in Israeli news. And he was like, can I, and he sees a banana on her, like, countertop. And he's like, can I have a banana? Like, he asked for permission. And and then she's like, yeah, have a banana. So he, so he sits there, has a banana. And then, like, two hours later, he kind of leaves. Um just like a very interesting way to look at it. Some also tragic stories um, of uh, one other Jewish Israeli survivor was telling the she was on the radio, um, Israeli radio, and she was saying that you know that the the Hamas militias came in and they had like 10, 10 hostages with them in this in this house, and then then the Israeli military forces came there and they started shooting at the Palestinian militias. But then there was like a, there, nothing could be done. So eventually the Israeli military bombed the house and it killed like 10 Israeli citizens, the hostages with the militia members. And these were like, and they basically burned the whole house down. And that, so that's the Palestinian militias were burned along with the Israeli civilians. So just, mm-hmm. we, don't have, we don't have a lot of information about what happened, but it's very dark. And, but Hamas, committed crimes war crimes and just heinous attacks against civilians and the hostages and so on now israeli response uh, and i kind of alluded to this this kind of mentality of creating um, a citadel or like a fortress for israelis and as well as like would not have it so israel immediately declared war on the gaza strip and their decision was like we need to eradicate hamas and and for the last three three weeks um since october 7th uh, they've been waging a war on Gaza. So far as of today, today is Thursday, October 26th. Um, more than 7,000 Gazans have been killed. Yeah, the, it just goes up. I mean, I just yeah. wrote an article and it was 4,000 and now it's six or that, seven. Yeah. So now it is, yeah, today this morning was 7,000, more than oh, 7,000. Wow. And including, I think, 2,500 children. Oh. The the Palestinian, the population in gaza 50 percent of the population is under the age of 18 mm-hmm. and like how come it's such a young generation it's because of the dreadful humanitarian crisis in the gaza strip anyway but it has such a very low 
very high mortality rate, like very low life expectancy. Right, right. So that the half of the population is under 18. That's how like dreadful mm -hmm. and like horrible right. life is in the Gaza Strip before any of this happened. Yeah. But yeah, um, 7,000 Palestinians, mostly women and children, were killed. More than, I don't know the numbers now, honestly, just very sad. And, and it's like, it's so hard for me, like, to just give these names, especially when you say like large numbers, like 2,000. But 2,000 children, just think these are 2,000 kids from families. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them are, are worth so much and beautiful and have dignity and loved by God. But they're killed left and right. Uh, 18 Christians were killed in a bombing at a church. Um, at once, like 300 and 400 Christ uh, Palestinians were killed in a hospital uh, attack. We're not really sure if it was a Palestinian rocket or an Israeli rocket. Like we have different reports. The New York Times came out two days ago saying it's not from Hamas. It's not from a rocket from Jihad or Hamas. But anyway, destruction of neighborhoods, use of the usage of white phosphorus, which is considered illegal in like warfare. Uh, mass destruction of of properties of neighborhoods. I, I have friends in Gaza, and it's just been super like tragic. I have friends who lost a friend who lost his dad, a friend who lost two really? cousins. Uh, the Christians. I didn't know the Christians who were killed, but a friend of mine from Gaza lost a lot of his classmates, and two of his mm -hmm. classmates were killed. Mm -hmm. um, and just a lot of kids were died and were killed, and it's just been super, super tragic. Now, so just to answer I your, just want to add one other thing. In addition to the deaths, we have the injured and the trauma of going through this kind of a bombing. Right. And right. there's there's a movie uh, called Born in Gaza. I don't know if you've seen it, but I it tracks yeah. ten Palestinian kids i don't know between 8 and 14 years old or something and after the 2014 war and 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 what they had to go through and the trauma that they experienced yeah and yeah. so that's the other side it's just not in addition to the deaths it's the people who are who are surviving under that trauma and yeah yeah there's trauma on the other side too with the hostages and people losing loved ones mm. in this hamas attack so it's on both sides, but what we what we're really doing here is we're talking about uh, highlighting some things that aren't necessarily highlighted in 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 mainstream media that are going on in Gaza. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Two points. Yeah, I mean, you you bring up such good points here. The trauma is important. Um, so, eighteen thousand people, I think, so far injured in Gaza. Yeah, um, seven thousand killed, and then Israel thinks that by doing so, it's gonna stem out Hamas. Yeah, I'm like, if you lost your wife or your kid, or you just lost your dad, are you gonna tell me you you're not gonna grow up bitter and angry and vengeful? You're not gonna pick up a gun and avenge those who killed your wife? Like I, I, this mentality that bloodshed, especially this way that it's been done and it's been described as a genocide. Like you really think that this is how extremism or terrorism ends? And I and I and I use the word terrorism like I'm, I have a lot of problems with this term because it's basically used to say if if we describe anyone as a terrorist, we can just kill that person. He doesn't 
He doesn't right. deserve to live. It's he's dehumanizing not a, them. Yeah. He's he's nothing. He's just he's he's as good as right. dead. Um, I mean, uh, Hamas terrorized Israelis. I mean, they committed some heinous attacks. But are we in the same breath? Are we in the same using the same language to say that Israel is also the Israeli military is, is a terrorist military and is terrorizing not just a few thousand millions of Palestinians who've been bombed every day? And I try to talk to my friends in Gaza and I, and I have a hard time talking to them because there's no power, there's no electricity for right. them. Right. Once in a while they get power for like a few hours and they kind of check in and respond or, you know, uh, tell the world that we're okay or to announce that some of their relatives were killed. Um, these people are not terrorized. Like, but also like speaking of like that, that documentary you said, and there's another one that I, um, I can recommend. It's called Killing Gaza. So just like mm -hmm. kill, Killing Gaza documentary. Uh, you, if you are, if you are 20 years old, like let's say you're a Hamas militant, if you're 20 years old in the last 16 years, since you were four years old, you experienced five wars. Israel launched right. attacks on Israel on Hamas in 2008, 2012, right. 2014 and, and 18 and 21. And now today you lived through five, four or five wars in your lifetime. You lost someone. And we're talking each time Israel kills hundreds. And you were traumatized as well. You're traumatized. Why yeah. wouldn't you join Hamas? Yeah. You know, like it makes so much sense. Not to not please, like please. Not I'm not, I'm not justifying at all. Yeah. But this right. is violence and trauma and abuse and oppression leads to extremism. Right. Um. So we have to understand the context. The context of 75 years of oppression of dispossession, of a refugee problem, stuck 75 years in refugee camps, no political horizon, no, that, no hope in the future, and complete like violence and aggression and killing of Palestinians left and right, settlement militias and attacks in the West Bank, attacks on the Temple Mount or the Aqsa compound against worshippers in, in Jerusalem, uh, dehumiliation in the Gaza Strip and a very gruesome and brutal blockade and no horizon for and, and Palestinians have been ignored like there's nothing that they Israel wants to do Israel Israeli generals were making the statement that there's no occupation not that not that the occupation doesn't exist it's just like act as if there's nothing there's no Palestinians right. there's no occupation there's nothing to say about the Palestinians let's go try to have the peace, the Abraham Accords, and normalized relations with other countries because the Palestinians are insignificant. They are worthless. And and kind of to your point about dehumanization, Palestinians have been consistently dehumanized for 75 years. Mm -hmm. 75 years, the open wound of the Palestinians, and it's still open. And there is no, and there's no political will. Israel for the Palestinians is an apartheid state, an oppressive state, that has brutalized and killed Palestinians by the thousands since 48, since the massacres of 47 and 48, and continues to do this. Before the attacks, Michael, you're not hosting me. Uh, you're only hosting me because of after, like, you know, me speaking up after the attacks in October 7th. Before October 7th, 300 Palestinians were killed. In, not in Gaza, not because of Hamas. 300 Palestinians in the West Bank, including 38 children in the West Bank. This is not Hamas. This is Israeli occupation in the West Bank. Where was the outcry? Where were the panels? Where right. were the podcasts when you have so many people killed? And um, I don't know if you if you know about this. The, there was a Hawara pogrom 
Jewish settlers went into a Palestinian um, village called Hawara and they burnt the village down, killed killed inhabitants, uh, burned their, their houses and their cars. Where's the where were the podcasts and the the condemnation and like we need to support Palestinians against the the right. settler terrorism. We're only talking about this because Israelis were killed, not because Palestinians. No, you're right. It's yeah. shameful, but I mean, and and I think there's the the uh, the counter the counter narrative is strong, and the media doesn't report on this. But right. on the other hand, occasionally it does get through, and we're we're kind of numb to it. It's right. just yeah, exactly. like you know, it's but like that's too far away, and, yeah. and and we think, well, they're working on a two state solution. You know, we you know we hear this stuff, but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. is not interested in in that. I mean, we they have, yeah. they pay us lip service talking about the two state solution, but yeah, you have right. someone like Trump or Biden. I mean, this is a bipartisan issue. There's like yes, unwavering, unconditional support yes. for Israel. Thankfully, there's some change in the Democratic Party, but it still remains a very small minority. Right. Um, so, I'm kind of this is like a long response to your question about faith. So the the American the Western and American response to the attacks and what's happening is unconditional support. And you have Christian leaders who are coming out with Hamas is pure evil. Yes. There's no justification. We right. don't have to think about context. We don't try to we don't want to try to even understand what happened. Mm -hmm. This is pure evil. These are terrorists, and therefore let's exterminate We're them. Justified to do it to them yeah do anything you want and you see mm -hmm. like the candidates like nikki haley like um desantis just raise it to flatten gaza kill them all and this is a, a just a very nasty blood and it, honestly like if nikki haley so i think nikki haley said you know flatten it or exterminate them imagine if a muslim person said this exterminate them all yeah, right? right oh yeah. he's 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 extremist he's um he's muslim yes. he's, he's violent he's a terrorist right. yeah but nikki haley can say it you know like christian leaders can say it like uh, people like russell moore and and others like in the gospel coalition like in the gospel coalition there's an article comparing the palestinians to the Amalekites, amalekites oh, which yeah. were like an ethnically cleansed like people group <laughs> in in canaan Right, right. Just like yeah. we have the Israelites ethnically right. cleansed, killed them all, do the same thing to the Palestinians. I know, but and and it's it's so shocking. I mean, growing up and uh, or spending twenty five years in evangelicalism, this 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 concept, one of the biggest concepts in Jesus' teachings is love your enemy. Okay, right. be restorative, not retributive. Don't use reciprocal violence. You know, eye right. for eye, tooth for tooth. Right, totally being ignored, completely ignored right, yeah, in, yeah. in this context. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So um so this kind of Christianity, I'm like, I like this is not Christianity. Like this is not it's, my God, yeah. it's not my gospel, it's not my Christ. Right. And I mean, there is the West has to repent. Christianity in the West needs to acknowledge this issue. A number of us Palestinian theologians. I'll, I'll give you the link to to this. This an open letter that a number of us wrote, a Palestinian Christian open letter. Oh, to good. Western We'd Christian. like to see that. Yeah. Um, and it's like you guys need to like repent. Like this way of thinking is harmful to the gospel. It harms your witness. Mm -hmm. It's this kind of this just war theory idea that we describe anyone as evil and then exterminate them because it's a just thing to do. 
it's like how dare you use the words of just words biblical words of justice and righteousness in that way to justify the killing of thousands of innocents in gaza right now and right. to turn a blind a blind eye to 75 years how long are right. palestinians supposed to wait right? how many palestinians need to die before you wake up but this is church leaders this is russell moore this is david french this is politicians this is media pundits this is everyone kill them all and like i just i i've i'm i'm tired of this this is just awful this is you're defaming the gospel so my my position and the palestinian christian position and i can end here it's um we just really take jesus seriously like you said love the enemy like like how can you love the enemy and then exterminate the enemy like how does that make right. any sense if hamas right. hamas is the worst people there let's just say there are the let's just okay they're terrorists okay Jesus says, love your enemy. What does that mean? <laughs> but if if you say they're terrorists, you don't have to love the terrorists. You don't love, you love the enemy. You don't love the terrorists, right? Like you kill the terrorist. But like how, like, and, and this is for me as a Palestinian, like two main commandments, love love God, love your neighbor. I need to love my Israeli oppressor. I need to love the, the, the system, you know, the person who does this to me. And I'm also commanded to love the enemy. Love my neighbor, love my enemy. I have no choice but to do this. How dare you come and say I follow Jesus and I'm a, I'm a Christian and therefore I'm gonna defend Israel no matter what? Um, the way of the gospel, the way of Christ, is is a radical vision of love and of inclusion, a gospel that is good news to everyone, especially to the marginalized and to the oppressed. Christ in Luke four, he opens Isaiah and he says, "This is the year of liberation of freedom, and and this has been fulfilled in your midst." And he goes about this ministry of, of reconciliation and of truth, of of this banquet of including everyone in, of the women and the Samaritans are welcomed into this kingdom and the, mm -hmm. the, the tax collectors are loved. Mm -hmm. We have a theology that says, no, these people are ugly. These people are dirty. They need right. to be killed. They need to be exterminated. And it's the same language of the Pharisees. It's the same language of the, leaders, yes. the Jewish leaders of the time. These people are in, these people are out. These are dirty and we're the clean ones. And the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of truth and the gospel of mercy and, and justice and the biblical justice and understanding of justice. Um, and, and I can maybe I can finish here. Uh, justice of God or the righteousness of God has been seen on the cross that Christ did not act in, venge in vengeance or right, in, in right. violence. He actually took up suffering. He died on the cross and satisfying the righteousness of God. And through that, when that justice was done, peace between God and, and humanity was established through Christ. The justice justice happened, peace was established, and then we become reconciled to each other. So there's a solution to the whole conflict. It's that, that biblical um, um, yeah, and the, equation. Uh, justice has to happen. Palestine, then uh, peace would, would, would come, and then reconciliation. And there's no way out of this. And justice has to come to the Palestinians for any kind of peace to be established in the land. Right. And on the love your enemies, the example of Jesus, you know, being tortured and murdered and then saying, forgive them, yeah. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And right. I think that the key is like they don't the people are brainwashed into doing things. Right. And when we realize they don't know what they're doing because they're programmed or they're brainwashed or for for that matter, they do have some legitimate grievances. Lots of them in the case of Hamas, they're responding to those grievances in a violent way, which we can denounce. But. 
they have, you know, we can, we can understand why they're doing it. Right. So this is really very important. Um, and I'd love to see that, uh, paper you were talking about where people, the theologians, Palestinian Christian theologians were denouncing what's going on here. Um, cause we'll put that in the show notes and, and that's really good. That's a really good, uh, resource to have. Sure. But this has been a great conversation, Daniel. Uh, we could go on and on. Um, uh, I might end up breaking this up into different parts and everything because it, we've already gone almost an hour and a half, but, mm-hmm. uh, I really appreciate you, uh, taking the time to talk to, to me. Is there any, any other final thoughts that you have before we close yeah, I think I alluded to it. So first, you need to do your work. You need to you need to um, you need to like, before you talk and say anything about the Middle East. You need to understand what you're talking about. Like I said, I'll I'll provide a link to resources people can look up and study and read. Uh, and for the Christians, if your theology, if your faith is, or your belief in the end times or the eschatology is leading you to dehumanize people, to turn a blind eye to suffering, to justify evil and killing, like using Christian biblical language, you need to repent. <laughs> like you need to repent of, of this violent uh, theology that is hurtful and this dehumanizing. Right. And and rather than being these um, unabashed uh, supporters of war and death, like just look at Christ and adopt the way of the cross and and the, this idea of the kingdom of God, a kingdom of justice and peace, um, and and Christians in the West, and this is a legacy. So, like a, another can of worms, this legacy of empire, of the Christian empire and Christian power, and and Christian violence in the West. You need to come. You need to come to terms with this legacy of of Christian violence that you inherited, whether it's the European colonialism or oppression or just bloodshed and slavery, and even today, like how. The, Christian nationalism shows it kind of rears its ugly face right now in the U.S. There's a lot of work that people and Christians in the West need to do of of rejecting and repenting from these ways and pursuing a ways of justice. And lastly, you need like work actively towards peace and justice in the land. It's, I'm not asking you to be involved because you're not involved. The church in the West is involved. It's involved in tourism. It's involved in funding and support for Israel. It's involved in the politicians in Christian politicians, like the church is involved in all this. You have pastors who preach Israel every weekend. Um, So you need to do your work. You need to like move away from this discourse and go meet Palestinians. Go study, pursue peace and justice. Uh, When you go on your pilgrimage, rather than looking at churches and taking pictures of churches, how about you spend time with those people who left these churches open for you? Go meet with the Palestinians. Palestinians, if you can't meet with the Muslims, meet with the Palestinian Christians. One percent of the land are, are Christians right now. Go come alongside them, listen to their stories, and 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 come alongside them in pursuit of peace and, and justice in the land. So I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to that. Oh, that's well said. Thank you, Daniel. I would say go go visit the Palestinian Muslims too. I I yes, lived with, I lived yeah. with Muslims for seven years in Africa. <laughs> I yeah. had one of the Wonderful. most rewarding experiences yeah. of my life. So <laughs> yeah. if that's too hard for people because of their own biases, you know, you know. But I understand yes, that. Yes. I yeah, understand yeah. that, but it doesn't take long for the biases right. to fall when you really meet a family exactly, and, exactly. and you just you, you experience it. So, yeah. um, so all right. Well, we've run out of time. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thanks, Michael. And uh, by the way, uh, I'll I'll give my shameless plug. <laughs> if you read my book behind me, Breaking Bad Faith, mm. uh, 
I, I cover a lot of these things in that in that book. And it and right. it talks about the two-faced God. Christians believe modern Christians, most most of them, there's always exceptions, thankfully, like yourself and many other people, but a lot of modern Christians believe in a two-faced God, and that's why they easily embrace the violence or war or support mm. a war is because they think God is two-faced because they believe certain things in scripture or from history, et cetera. And we need to break that. So, sure. Sure. so again, thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll look for your show, uh, resources that you're going to give us and sure. put that in the show notes. Is there anything that, uh, any kind of a website that you have that you want to share? I, I don't, I, I'm not a, like a public figure. I probably should work on that, but I'm launching a podcast with some friends um, on Palestine and the oh, US on, on faith and politics. It's called Across the Divide. I'll okay. send you some, uh, the link to that as well. We're actually launching in a few days. Oh, good. So, uh, All right. Across we'll, we'll the Divide. link in there too. And Perfect. then we got another podcast to listen to. Great. Perfect. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, hey, Michael. folks, until the next episode, we'll see you then. Take care.